I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming, you, coming to you from Atlanta in August of 2022. Today, we're going to be talking about ways to constructively resolve some of the contentious debates that communities have when wildlife proponents try to enact statewide bans on wildlife killing contests. Yes, there are actually contests to see who can kill the highest number of a particular animal species who lives freely in nature. In fact, the majority of US states allow and promote wildlife killing contests. Our guest, Dr. Deborah Merskin, studied the various arguments used in her state of Oregon for and against legislation that specifically sought to ban coyote killing contests, which in part is somewhat split along urban versus rural lines. Her study was published in a special edition of the scholarly journal, Journalism and Media, that I co-edited with Dr. Nuria Almiron. Dr. Merskin's paper is entitled Coyote Killing Contest, Persistence of Differences Among Oregonians. I'll post a link to the full article at the show's website, facebook.com slash nature. And I think it has relevance for all of us who want to strategically advocate for animals as it finds that arguments claiming animal cruelty or ecological harm often are not effective at countering the more identity-based rationales used by killing contest proponents in rural areas. Let me tell you about our guest, Dr. Deborah Merskin. She's a professor emerita of media studies who's worked for several decades at University of Oregon's School of Journalism and Communication, where I also got my degree and was fortunate to work with her. After a career in advertising, Dr. Merskin earned her first PhD in public communication from Syracuse University and completed coursework toward a second PhD in depth psychology with an emphasis on ecological psychology. Her research and teaching focus on intersectional race and gender-based theories and examine exclusion or stereotyping by media of marginalized human beings, as well as animals other than humans. She and I are the co-creators of the Style Guide for Journalists and other professional communicators interested in respectful and accurate portrayals of animals and media at animalsandmedia.org. In addition to dozens of journal articles and book chapters, Dr. Merskin is the author of three scholarly books, including her latest book, Seeing Species, Representations of Animals in Media and Popular Culture. In her free time, she teaches yoga and volunteers in wildlife rescue and advocacy in Oregon. Welcome, Dr. Merskin. Thank you so much for having me here, Dr. Freeman. <laughs> yeah, we usually call ourselves Deb and Carrie, but we're being so formal. <laughs> uh, first off, tell us what's happening in wildlife killing contests, like such as the coyote killing contest that you studied in Oregon, because maybe for a lot of people, they don't even know, well, what does that mean or what does that look like? Right. Um, thank you for that. That's a great question because the more, well, before I came to this, um, I was certainly aware that wildlife are killed. Right. Hunt, regular I, hunting. That they're hunting, right? And Oregon um, kind of has an image of this very progressive, politically progressive state, but um, after living here for almost three decades, I've learned that um, urban areas and rural areas here are vastly different. And in terms of geographical space, the rural is much larger and lower populated than some of the others. But the weight that the cities, the major markets here in Oregon, um, Portland, Eugene, carry uh, is way out, is very different. The political 
uh, voice those areas have is very, very different to the rural. And it's related to this particular study. So when I learned that there were killing contests, like you described so well, where in the case of coyotes and other uh, animals, but I focused on coyotes, but this happens with bobcats and prairie dogs and rabbits and other animals out here, um, that there are occasions a few times a year, sometimes once a year, sometimes all the time, um, where these animals are the targets, literally, of how many can you kill, how quickly, pile them up, what's the largest, what's the smallest within say a two day period, a big, big mm -hmm. event on a weekend. And I learned this through the activism of groups such as um, Humane Society of the US, Project Coyote and others that these contests were happening here, particularly in Eastern Oregon, particularly in, Harney County, Oregon, uh, which is had gotten a lot of national attention because of the Malheur um, holdout that took place there that got national attention with right wing groups. And that um, it's a very particular part of the state. And after three attempts by groups to ban the contests through legislation, yeah. each of which failed, I wanted to look into so what's going on? What are supporters arguing? What are um, people who want to end the contest arguing, particularly after meeting with politicians, representatives one-on-one? -on -one, I wanted to understand, you know, as a social science researcher, as an eco-psychologist, what maintains the views that these contests are effective predator control, if you will, or pest control, as coyotes are often referred to as, even though there's a lot of science that says these, in fact, create the opposite outcomes. Stressed coyotes have larger litters. They have uh, litters of pups more frequently when they're put under stress, which the contests definitely create among a pack. And so why the disregard of science um, in order to support the contest? So that's a long answer. But the people that I generally speak with in, in many areas have no idea this goes on. And is it, is it the U.S. Fish and Wildlife in the state the state agency that oversees these contests? I mean, I don't I doubt there's very many rules or boundaries in terms of like welfare standards, because I know you can kill coyotes year round without a bag limit in Oregon anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing with this. It's not saying to people, you can't kill coyotes. It's like, it's that you can't, it's just the contests, but right. it quickly so goes to that. Ban. This is specifically, you're trying to get in Oregon, a ban passed that says, look, you can't have a contest to try right. to see who kills the most. Cause then it really promotes excessive murder. Exactly. And, um, one of the things I learned about when I was taking an animal law course at University of Oregon was about one of the successful efforts to shut down the contest that happened in Oregon, got it shut down, not because of animal cruelty or other types of things, but Animal Legal Defense Fund was successful because of illegal gambling. 
and oh, related so, to the contest. Yes, the contest yes. themselves. So, yeah. but the thing that has happened is, um, and it's mostly Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife to speak to your point before that looks at this. This is state level decision making. Yeah and um, not a federal one. And so at the state level, um, it was on that basis. So the contests have changed in terms of what kind of prizes get awarded, what um, types of, of things happen so that the gambling doesn't necessarily, it may happen, but what's happened is these contests have gone deeper and deeper underground where wow. groups used to put up posters, they used to have publicly available Facebook pages, web pages, and now it takes a good deal of undercover work to find out when and where these are happening. Um, the Harney County one does tend to happen every January, yeah. and that's just something that's kind of known amongst those of us doing this work, but um, you have to do a fair amount of work now because they know they're, the public has been made aware that these yeah. contests exist and, and the implications of them. Now, in your article, you use a chart from the Coyote Project that tells us which states within the U.S. have legally banned killing contests. Mm -hmm. We see that, unfortunately, the majority of states allow these wildlife killing contests. And I'm upset that my state of Georgia allows these mass killing celebrations as do all Southern and Midwestern states. But on the flip side, there are some states, could you list which states ban particular fur-bearing animal killing contests? And then there's some that actually ban coyote killing contests. Right, right. Um, yeah, the majority do allow a variety of these, um, but where presently banned, Washington, California, Arizona, Colorado, Massachusetts, Maryland, Washington, and most recently, New Mexico. So in those states, they ban predator, fur bearer, or non-game killing type contests that are there. Okay. And, um, but that's what, seven? Yeah, I mean, shout out to those <laughs> states. Yes. And then some of them I think I saw on the list were like just banning coyote killing contests. Or yes, uh, New Mexico and Vermont. Okay, yeah. Um, some kind of gray areas in there. I I am hoping um, Oregon's position geographically between California and Washington will be helpful in right. pressuring here, right. which happened with Measure 100 a couple years ago, where Oregon was the third state to get on board with ending um, the import of um, endangered animals or their body parts into the state. And so yeah, to join the West Coast there. Yeah, yeah, that little bit of in there. At the same time, the regions we're talking about who don't want to see these contests end for reasons that have nothing really to do with the animals will also resist it for that very reason. Yeah. That yeah. Washington and or uh, yeah. California have. So they don't want to be a West Coast contingent, right? Right. They don't identify that way. No, they want um, to move to Oregon border and include to be part of Idaho. Yeah. And I understand that there have been bills proposed in the Oregon state legislature that seek to ban the coyote killing contests in Oregon and that you studied the public discourse and debates around that legislation in 2021, you know, for this paper that we're referring to. What did you find were the overarching competing belief systems at work here in terms of how people view coyotes from different vantage points before we get into the specific arguments that everybody right. uses? Right. Um, 
you know, it's often you find this with, you find it in many areas globally with wolves, you find it with other animals that there's a big difference between the um, urban areas and the rural areas and where people live day in and day out seeing the animals. Now, in the case of coyotes, as many of us know, they're increasingly urban, but we're talking about um, some differences between those who are farmers and ranchers. Yeah. Who um, may be raising cattle, growing cattle, growing sheep, and see predation on the part of coyotes who actually more often turn up to what um, other, you know, other deaths that have occurred. They're not really, they don't well, they go after adult cows, right? Yeah. They don't go after, very often go after any of them. That's not their way. They eat Big. small rodents yeah. and plants and berries and so forth. But um, some of the arguments that come forth are based on more urban areas having generally a more, um, um, environmental sense and ecosystem and why coyotes are important to ecosystems and but they may have less in-person experience with it yeah. uh, with the animal and and livelihoods and right yeah and and not everybody who wants to ban the coyote killing contests is a political pre progressive or you don't necessarily even have to be from the city you don't have to be vegan there were some people who hunted and in and, and ate animals but they didn't like the coyote killing contest. What were some of the reasons that certain hunters gave for wanting to ban the killing contests? Yeah, you know, that was some of the most interesting reading um, that I had in there, I thought was you would get in some of these cases, multi-generational um, Oregon families that uh, hunting was part of their tradition that were in there saying, you know, Yes, I'm a hunter. Yes, I believe in doing these things, protecting my flocks. Also, one that I that was powerful was like, look, these animals who live with me that I keep are my responsibility to protect. Mm -hmm. And if I don't keep them safe, that's on me. And are you just meaning you just can't eradicate anybody that might be a threat like to your quote unquote livestock. Right. Exactly. Yeah, like that you need to have maybe better fencing or protective dogs or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's other ways you could do it besides eradication. Right. And another topic it touches on, which goes beyond the scope of what we're saying, though, is Oregon has free range cattle on BLM land, Bureau of Land Management land. And so there is an attitude among some who see that as their land and that the cattle should be safe when they're out there on their own. No, it's publicly owned land. Right. Yeah. So it's publicly owned by, you know, no matter if you're conservative, progressive or anywhere, it belongs to everyone in the state. But there is that sense of that land and they do pay a little bit of money for that access. But um, yeah, the ones who spoke about having, um, you know, to see the value that having a rich ecosystem plays, even if it was for saying, look, you know, like we need wolves in order to have healthy deer populations. We need this. They understood that all the beings on the landscape are important to maintaining that landscape and to remove anybody from that would disrupt the whole system. So 
it wasn't like you say, it wasn't only city living, living urban, you know, liberal Democrat type people who said the contests are problematic. Right. That's um, good. Yeah. Yeah. And irony is many of the people who dismiss the science of which there's plenty um, that say the contests are, are not healthy for the ecosystem, that all the other stressors I mentioned, these individuals regularly use science. And I think this is an area of research somebody could look at. They regularly use science to determine how they're going to uh, grow cattle, how they're going to grow crops, what's the most effective ways of doing those things. They use science for that, but they disregard many of them science that is disagrees with some of their other values. So it's selective science that fits yes. your ideology. Yeah. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature. I'm host Carrie Freeman speaking with my friend and mentor, Dr. Deborah Merskin, a professor emerita of communication at University of Oregon, discussing the findings in her recent study entitled Coyote Killing Contests, Persistence of Differences Among Oregonians, published in the Open Access International Journal, Journalism and Media. I'll link to the full article on the Facebook page for In Tune to Nature. Um, Dr. Merskin, how did the pro-coyote arguments differ from those who were defending the coyote killing contest? I know you um, also categorized the pro-killing arguments according to kind of existing psychological rationalization and neutralization tactics. We might not have time to really fully explore kind of that angle that how people rationalize different things. Um, but you notice that it did fall into kind of typical rationalizations that um, people who have different kind of social practices from the norm tend to make. So what are some of the rationalizations or arguments uh, that the proponents of the wildlife killing contests use? Yeah, I think, um, and that I, I um, looked at not only from what individuals wrote. And this study was uh, verbal spoken testimonies to officials made on Zoom because of the pandemic, yeah. and then letters that were written by individuals, as well as conversations with legislators. And they would say why they felt they couldn't support a ban based on some of these very psychological strategies that you mentioned that are explored in the paper none of which have anything actually to do with the animals themselves. And they are not surprising, particularly I think in the times we live in, defenses of a way of life that many who are defending the contest perceive as vanishing, as disregarded, which is a, a rural, um, independent, rural, self-governing, hands-off from government and rules type of way of living and potentially as a slippery slope toward gun control. I see. Yeah. So that if you are going to start telling me which um, animal, how many animals I can kill, how I can go about doing it and doing all this, next thing you're going to do is take away my guns. And that's been part of um, other kinds of, of anti-environmental or um, other kinds of discourse. Um, and it's going on right now in terms of that. So um, some of the other things were that attending these hunting contests is a way to bond 
between fathers and sons, and in some cases, fathers and daughters, that it gives that opportunity to um, be with other people, and that that brings money to local economies. By all the people that show up to participate in these, they rent motel rooms, they camp, they, you know, buy food, they do these things to these otherwise pretty, um, pretty economically um, poor underserved areas of the state. And the argument is what I did here was those defending the contest were um, Salem, which is the state capital. Salem doesn't understand us. They need to come spend time to see how we are. They'd say it was a rural urban divide. People in urban areas say there isn't an urban rural divide. And so each was using their own kind of rationalization process to um, justify the killing of animals, but neither of them really are about the animal themselves. Yeah. And in thinking about, I'm going to kind of combine two questions here for the sake of um, saving time. Sure. But in thinking about what lessons you learned in constructive debate on this issue, what communication and messaging approaches would you recommend for listeners who want to get legislation passed in their own states that would prohibit wildlife killing contests in terms of like how they could speak to the rural proponents of those killing contests in a way that resonates with those rural proponents? That's a really good question. And I think part of the communication strategy um, needs to be adjusted a bit in terms of the next wave of moving forward, whether it's in Oregon or hopefully any of these other states where people want to do something with this, is to try to meet people where they're at with what's going on in their lives and that are important to them. If um, based either on the evidence of unsuccessful campaigns that have basically relied on appeal of of the inhumanity of this practice or the science of the practice that talks about pack behavior and talking about keeping, um, you know, the pack dynamics of the animals, um, you know, the way they should be and the way that this is disruptive psychologically and and that that's not going to work in a rural and an area where in many levels regards of animals as individuals with thoughts and feelings and perspectives doesn't apply really. It's not a consideration. Their worldview. So it's right. Work with them when their arguments are more economic and social and kind of wanting independence from government, you know, that's what their concerns are. Yeah. So you would have to provide, like, talk about alternative ways to bond and alternative ways to make money in their community. Exactly. And that's super important. Like in Malheur County, and I talk about this in, um, not Malheur, I'm sorry, Harney County, there's a very successful, um, there's a lot of, wild, of, of species of birds there and yeah. wetland areas, even though we're seeing some of that um, go away with drought. But there's a very successful um bird viewing event every year that brings tons and tons of people to Harney County that uh, accomplishes economically the same thing that the coyote killing contests would. And it seems that providing some um, economic alternatives, which is something we see in other parts of the world, we've seen that when trying to stop um, the bushmeat trade, 
and provides food substitutes and bring tourism in as an alternative to wildlife killing or with lions and others is we need to, I believe, groups that want to move this forward need to use some of those same strategies that have been used um, um, globally to apply to our very own uh, four-footed and winged citizens that um, need our attention and protection. But to go to the people of that community to relate to them where they're at, not at the level of the, it's the humane thing to do, but rather here is an argument. And would you consider, um, you know, moving in this direction and here's how it could even be better for you economically by providing these kind of jobs or providing, you know, bringing a whole new population of tourists into the area or whatever it might be. And um, I know I like that empathetic and pragmatic approach to ultimately trying to help the animals, not just by speaking one's mind, but (laughs) and arguing, but by really resolving some of the core issues. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Dr. Deborah Merskin, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. Um, And thank you for the work you do as a professor in your own community um, and protecting free living animals there. Um, I was going to say, like, actually, if you if you have anything like a, a an address where we can write, um, even if we're from out of state to like Oregon's governor or to the Fish and Wildlife, if you have any of that information, I'll post it on the In Tune to Nature Facebook page so that any interested listener could write a letter about Oregon's coyote killing contest in particular, if there's Absolutely. something you do. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you for this opportunity to share this information. And I will send that um, how it is in Oregon. And there's other great resources uh, with Project Coyote that shows what successful campaigns in other states have looked like. Yes, Project Coyote is a great resource. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time online at wrfg.org on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com slash nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff, or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species, including coyotes, for example. They clearly need our support. Thank you for listening. Cheers.